are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We've got a loaded episode coming your way, a lot of different topics. Today was a crazy day in the NFL, the retirement of arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history and Tom Brady, the NFL getting sued by one of its former head coaches, all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the NFL with less than two weeks until the Super Bowl. So we're going to be dishing out some thoughts on that lawsuit coming from Brian Flores towards the NFL and its 32 teams. We're also going to be taking a look at the Rams strategy that has gotten them to the Super Bowl and what the Seahawks may or may not be able to learn from that roster construction strategy. Again, jam-packed episode. Glad to have you listening in and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Typically, when a player like Tom Brady retires, that is the biggest news story in professional sports for that particular day, not just the NFL. And yet, Brady's retirement, he's probably excited about this with the fact that Saturday, his retirement was falsely reported ahead of time by Adam Schefter, and he didn't appreciate that. He probably is happy to see some of the pressure taken off of him by the news that former Dolphins coach Brian Flores is suing the NFL and its 32 teams over racist hiring practices, among other things. And if you've looked at the document, Rob, man, some inflammatory accusations against the Miami Dolphins, the Denver Broncos, even have the Seahawks mentioned in there briefly, not a direct correlation, but they're mentioned in there with Colin Kaepernick and his plight not getting to play the last four-plus season in the NFL And this was a charging legal document here. And it looks like the NFL is going to be in for quite a treat here dealing with this situation. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating legal battle here. And I I think that just to kind of tie this back into the the Seahawks, Corbin, um, you know, you have a really talented coach that might be looking to become a defensive coordinator uh, yet again. And is there a better position in the NFL right now than a Seattle Seahawks team that is obviously looking for a defensive coordinator that has the talent that they have? And a Brian Flores guy who, you know, kind of cut his teeth with the New England Patriots and with, with, with Bill Belichick. And we know the caliber of defense that uh, the Miami Dolphins played under Brian Flores. The New England Patriots played under Bill Belichick with Brian Flores there. Maybe Pete Carroll might want to make that phone call and just say, hey, Brian Flores, I, I recognize that you have all kinds of legal conversations that you might have to have, but if you are interested in playing that defensive coordinator role for a team that was statistically as bad as the Seahawks were this past season, Corbin, if, if Brian Flores is looking for a bounce back type of campaign, you know, he might be able to do exactly what we've seen Dan Quinn and Gus Bradley do um, and be able to kind of come in, have immediate success elsewhere, and be able to jump their their names right back up into that, that head coaching position. So to me, I think that's got to be a phone call that, that Seattle, if Pete Carroll, if Jody Allen, if John Schneider are willing to have those conversations, then it's just one more really interesting candidate the Seahawks have to explore. 
And we've talked about this in the past. I've been critical of Pete Carroll with the way that they handled the Colin Kaepernick situation because I felt like he was better than any of the backup quarterback options they were looking at. And this was the quote that was in this legal document today, the lawsuit with Brian Flores. It was the quote from Pete Carroll saying that Colin Kaepernick is a starter. We already have a starter, but we expect somebody else is going to give him an opportunity. And that quote, Got a lot of criticism, including from me, because I felt like, don't you want the best quarterback you can get to back up Russell Wilson? And Colin Kaepernick is that guy. But I never felt like that decision was racially charged at all. I think that the Seahawks were just being cognizant of the idea they didn't want to have a backup quarterback in there that might push Russell Wilson to the point where it creates a quarterback controversy. I truly believe that's why they chose not to sign him. But the Seahawks did more than any other team in the league in regard to Colin Kaepernick, they look multi- they took multiple looks at him. So when you consider Brian Flores' situation, he just sued the league. He just sued all 32 teams. And again, the allegations in the, that are in there are extremely inflammatory. And if they're true, there are going to be some people that are going to see, there's going to be some heads rolling in the NFL. Let's just put it this way. Uh, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, apparently bribing $100,000 to Flores per game his first year to try to lose on purpose. And Flores didn't go for that. So that created some issues between the owner and the head coach. And then there was apparently a well-known quarterback. I've heard Tom Brady was the guy that wasn't out of his contract yet, but Stephen Ross was trying to get Flores to join him on a yacht to meet with that quarterback, which again, that would have been tampering. So Flores decided not to do it. Again, if these things are true, I don't know how Stephen Ross maintains his ownership position. The NFL might have to force their hands there and force him to sell that. Because when you're looking at the gambling that we're having in the NFL, with that being emphasized now, you cannot have owners that are fixing games like that by bribing their coaches. Like, that just can't happen. And then, of course, Bill Belichick texting. He thought he was texting Brian Dable who is now the Giants head coach and was also an assistant under him, like Brian Flores was. He texted Brian Flores accidentally thinking it was Brian Dable congratulating him for getting the job. And, oh, by the way, Flores still has to interview for the job with the Giants three days later. So that really raised some red flags, too. Just, again, some damning allegations in this lawsuit. I don't know that he's going to have an opportunity to coach for anybody right now because I don't know that any teams are going to want to touch that. But I'm with you. I tweeted it earlier. I think the Seahawks would be extremely wise to reach out to Brian Flores right now. He might not want to be a defensive coordinator. He knows he's putting his coaching career on the line, raising issues, you know, raising these issues that have been prevalent in the NFL for a long time and trying to make a difference. This isn't just about coaching, but If he does want to be a head coach again at some point, Pete Carroll can provide potentially that opportunity because he's going to be 71 this next year. We've talked about it. He's not going to be able to coach forever, especially if his team's struggling like they did last year. You have Brian Flores on your staff and he's your defensive coordinator. That would be one case where I would actually be in favor of the head coach in waiting because you know that Brian Flores can coach back-to-back winning seasons with a Dolphins roster that – at best was probably middle of the pack. They were much more competitive than they should have been with the quarterback problems they've had and some of the flaws that they have on offense and defense, yet they were extremely competitive, winning records the last two years. You know he can coach, so I think he'd be a great fit. And it'd be an opportunity to bring in somebody with some different defensive ideas. Would Pete Carroll embrace that? At this point, he needs to. 
So I think it'd be great. I, I think it's highly unlikely that it happens, but it at least is something the Seahawks should be considering. And Jody Allen is the chairman, as the owner. It's her job to also sign off on that. I think Paul Allen would have been okay with doing it. He's one of the few owners that would have if he was still alive. I think Jody Allen would be willing to, too. It just boils down to, is that what Pete Carroll is interested in doing? I think he should be. It's an interesting couple of points you just made there. I think that, uh, you know, going back to the, the you know, the, the Kaepernick situation, um, I was not among those who, who thought that, that Colin Kaepernick was, uh, you know, a, a true starting quarterback in the NFL. I thought that he demonstrated what he could do, that, that he had as good of a fastball as anybody in the NFL had, that, that he was a great mobile quarterback. I didn't think that he showed much touch. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the Seahawks beat him when they did. And and I do believe that that was part of the reason why he didn't get as much interest, um, you know, out there from NFL teams. I think that if he had demonstrated the full gamut of, of abilities, physical abilities that you expect from a quarterback in the NFL, a starting quarterback, then I think that somebody would have signed him. That said, there is no one in the NFL who I respect for what he stood for on and off the field as much as Colin Kaepernick. And, and so I give kudos to the Seahawks for giving him at least a look. And that's what I think the Seahawks should be considering doing here um, with, with Brian Flores as well, is at least giving him a look. Now, I don't know that there is going to be that match with Pete Carroll. But I, I think that Pete Carroll has shown certainly a willingness to explore all kinds of options, John Schneider as well. And Jody Allen, the fact that it is a woman who is an owner in the NFL, she knows as well as just about anybody in the NFL that as a woman, there, sometimes you are not going to get the respect that is deserved of you as an owner. And so perhaps she might be willing to explore this possibility as well. But again, I, I do hesitate with saying that I think that he should be like the coach in waiting or anything like that. But at the same time, with what Brian Flores has demonstrated with the Miami Dolphins, a team that was not as good on offense, but was certainly very, very talented on the defensive side of the football, which of course is Brian Flores' specialty, all the more reason why Seattle should be at least willing to kind of consider what he might be able to bring to the table. So again, to me, it at least is a phone call. And just to see if there is any interest in, uh, on Brian Flores's per, uh, on Brian Flores's perspective, as well as Seattle's. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see. This is just the tip of the iceberg with the lawsuit being filed today. There's going to be a lot more dominoes that fall. There's going to be plenty of banter from both sides. The NFL's already come out and say uh, said that these claims are unsubstantiated, that are completely unsubstantiated. And so they've basically said there's no wrongdoing. I don't know how you could reach that verdict less than two hours after the lawsuit was reported, but that's what the NFL does. Teams are coming out speaking against the things, the claims that are in the lawsuit as well. And so we'll see what ends up happening here. This is just the beginning, but I'm with you. I think the Seahawks, they should be calling Brian Flores and his agent and seeing is there any interest? Could we make this work? I don't know if he's coaching for anybody this year just because of the legal proceedings, but you would at least make that phone call. You hope that he doesn't get blackballed and that he's able to coach again at some point. With what happened with Colin Kaepernick playing quarterback, that remains to be seen whether that's going to be the case or not. When we come back here in the second quarter, Rob, you're in Mobile, Alabama. We're going to have an opportunity to hear some thoughts from the first practice day at the Senior Bowl. Going to be looking at offensive players and, of course, what players the Seahawks might have been taking a close look at at this year's All-Star Week in Mobile. 
Bet online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game in a couple weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates on current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got the Super Bowl coming up, and we've got an exciting week of coverage brought to you by Get Upside. There's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On NFL will be live in L.A. all week covering the big game, so make sure to subscribe on whatever major platform you listen to your podcast on. Rob, you're in Mobile, Alabama, the draft guru. We knew that you were going to be at the Senior Bowl. Excited. Last year, you didn't get to go. It was a rare year because of the pandemic, but you are back at the Senior Bowl, getting a chance to look at top prospects on both sides of the football, getting to mingle with some of your buddies, some of your cohorts that you've worked with over the years. Let's talk offense from today's practice. We'll get to look at defense as well, but really eager to hear your thoughts. And we were talking about it before the show with all the Russell Wilson trade rumors that have been out there for the last couple of years. And it seems like those movements, those rumors have only accelerated since the end of the season with Seattle going seven and 10. There has been a lot of talk about this quarterback class. And I think you and I would both agree that this is a fairly underwhelming group compared to the last couple of draft classes at the quarterback position. What did you see in this first practice from that group? Well, from the quarterback position, I, I saw the inconsistency that I expected. Um, and you were absolutely right, Corbin. Um, this is a quarterback class that is lacking, certainly in comparison to last year. And I, I think that's one of the things that we just have to at least acknowledge just for a moment here is that last year we saw five quarterbacks go within the top 15 picks. That's never happened in NFL history. So there was a lot of expectation that this quarterback class would drop off in comparison, and it certainly has. Uh, you know, I think that there's a chance that you might see a quarterback, maybe even two, that, that wind up getting drafted within the top 15 this next year because there's NFL teams out there who are just so desperate for help at the quarterback position. But frankly, they shouldn't be a quarterback that is drafted that high. Um, I think that Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh was arguably the best quarterback on the field this year. And, and that would be where I would start off is that you have five of the six quarterbacks, at least on my top list, uh, five of the six quarterbacks on my list are competing in Mobile uh, in the Senior Bowl. The only exception being the junior Matt Corral from Ole Miss, who is technically not eligible for this game. Um, but Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, uh, you know, uh, Carson Strong from Nevada, uh, Sam Howell from North Carolina, Malik Willis from Liberty, uh, Bailey Zappi from uh, Western Kentucky. Um, you got some really talented quarterbacks out there. At the same time, again, I just did not see the consistency that I, that I was hoping to see from the quarterbacks. You saw some flashy plays from all of them. Um, but at the same time, you just didn't see anybody, at least not on day one, be able to kind of seize the day as, as some had been hoping for. So to me, that is what's going to be really be a fascinating conversation here because all those out there who are suggesting the Seahawks should trade away Russell Wilson, get three draft picks, say from the Philadelphia Eagles who have those three 
first round draft picks and there's been some arguments that maybe that's something that Seattle should do, then who's going to be your quarterback? Because if you are looking to draft one from this class, then you're looking at a two and 14, two and 15 type of a season. Basically exactly what you saw some of the clubs that uh, the drafted first round quarterbacks a year ago suffer through. Yeah, this is not a good quarterback group. And again, I'm not in Mobile, so I didn't get a chance to watch these guys today. But based on the film that I've looked at, Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis are probably my two favorite quarterbacks in this group. And I would be hesitant to draft either one of them in the first round if I was a team that was needing a quarterback. I see some things that I really like from both players. I have to wonder about the ceiling for Kenny Pickett. To me, he's probably the most pro-ready of the quarterbacks in this group, at least from what I've seen on game film. I like the athletic traits that he has, surprising athleticism, uh, surprising speed, can run the ball a little bit, decent arm strength, accurate. I just don't know what his ceiling looks like, though, compared to some of these other players. Howell from North Carolina, I've never been impressed with him. I don't know where the first-round buzz at times has come from with him, but Malik Willis is probably the most physically gifted, at least in my opinion, of this group but he's also coming from Liberty. It's going to take some time for him to acclimate to the NFL. He hasn't played the level of competition that he's going to be facing off against, but I think he's got the most arm talent. He's a good athlete. He's got good size. If he ends up in the right situation, has a very high ceiling, but that's always the big if. Can you get the right coaching? Can you land with the right team with the right weapons around him? I just don't see a guy in this group that I, you know, and there's never a slam dunk at quarterback. There never is. But you just don't see a guy in this group that you're like, you know what? I would be willing to roll the dice and start over a quarterback with this guy. I don't see anybody in this group that I would be willing to do that with. Maybe a year or two from now, one of these guys develop into a quality starter in the NFL. I just, I'm just not impressed with this group. Plain and simple. I think trading number three with this quarterback group, if you're not getting a proven guy back, uh, that to me would be one of the worst, one of the biggest mistakes you could make as a general manager. Yeah, that's the way I feel as well. I mean, if you were to get multiple picks, then, then perhaps you can reset the roster. I think that's always an intriguing possibility because, of course, if you are playing with a young quarterback who is on a rookie contract, then that's a lot of dollars that you can allocate elsewhere. And if you do hit on one of these young quarterbacks, Cincinnati Bengals are feeling really, really happy right now with the fact that they are paying Joe Burrow basically pennies on the dollar compared to what the Detroit Lions or slash the Los Angeles Rams are, are paying uh, with Matthew Stafford right now, then you know that's the gamble. But it is a gamble, and, and that's the thing that, that people have to certainly acknowledge if they're going to be having that conversation. So, so let's take this conversation in a different way, Corbin. I think that the more likely scenario is that Seattle is going to do exactly what John Schneider and his cohort of scouts, because there were a handful of them that I watched in Las Vegas a couple of days ago, um, scouting along the line of scrimmage. And then certainly John Schneider uh, himself, as well as uh, Steve Hutchinson and several other scouts who were focusing on the offensive line um, in, in Mobile just today. Um, and, and to me, that's really where it is much more likely that Seattle is going to be focusing their attention. Of course, they don't have a first-round draft pick this year. Their second-round pick right now is slated to be number 41 overall. And one of the interior offensive linemen who would intrigue me the most, of course, center has been a position you and I have talked about a lot, what might be Boston College's Zion Johnson. And I mentioned him specifically because of the fact that he had previously played an offensive tackle 
in most of his career at offensive guard. But today, he was taking snaps at center. And talk about a guy who has the physical talent, the, the want to. He has an interesting story. He previously was a zero-star recruit, uh, played his college ball initially at a much lower level of competition, made the jump up to BC. Now, as I mentioned, has played every position along the offensive line and then goes to center at, at the senior bowl and is actually very impressive there. You look at the physicality, you look at the durability, you look at the, the, the backstory, the toughness, the competitiveness. There's a lot of things there that kind of scream Seattle Seahawks. It's interesting that you mentioned the interior because obviously the center position was a big need. Last year, it's still a big need. So if you could get somebody like Johnson available in the mid-rounds and you could draft him as your future center, then obviously that would be a pick that fans would be excited about. But you also have to worry about the left tackle position. We don't know if Dwayne Brown is going to be back. We don't know if the Seahawks are going to spend money on another veteran that's going to hit the free agent market like maybe Tron Armstead or if they might bring in another young guy that can compete against Stone Forsythe, who they drafted last year. And there are a couple of intriguing guys, but were there any tackles in this first day that jumped out to you that might be a potential successor option to Dwayne Brown? Well, you know, there really there wasn't. I mean, that's the thing is that um, I, I think if you're looking specifically at the D, at the left tackle position, you know, Trevor Penning from Northern Illinois, or excuse me, Northern Iowa, it is the guy that has a great deal of buzz about him. But at the same time, again, think back to what the Seahawks have done during the John Schneider era. They have been kind of low to take these guys from the smaller schools. Um, I, I thought that the best offensive tackle um, in Mobile uh, today was Darian Kennard from Kentucky. Um, he, he was fantastic at times, and he is the type of mauler that the Seahawks have, have preferred in the past. It was actually kind of fun at the very last practice uh, of the day for the American squad um, that was coached by the Detroit Lions. They, they did something interesting. I've, I've been going to the Senior Bowl here in Mobile, Alabama, for 21 of the, 20, the past 22 years. As you mentioned earlier, Corbin was not here this past season just due to COVID reasons. Um, but I have not seen a team that basically did something you might expect more of out of a high school game. They they asked the top offensive lineman, the top defensive lineman, at the end of practice to square off one more time. And whatever team lost, offense or defense, they had to do push-ups in kind of support of, of their teammates. And from the very first snap, it, it was a basically best out of three snaps. Jermaine Johnson, the second from Florida State, was was voted apparently as the top defensive line end. And, and he was going off against Kennard. And he beat Kennard on the very first snap with a, a pretty impressive rush. But then Kennard got him the better than the last two snaps. And so it was kind of fun to see, uh, you know, the, the defensive linemen all kind of begrudgingly have to do those push-ups just be, and, and the offensive linemen celebrate uh, for Kennard from, from Kentucky really having that performance. 6'5", 320 pounds, and is sleek, is mean, is athletic. Um, and he's the kind of guy that I think that the Seahawks would like. But again, he's more of that right tackle position. I think that what Seahawks saw – from Jake Curran uh, this past season, I think that, they, again, the offensive tackle position is fairly centered at, at, at right tackle. It's just left tackle is a little bit more of a concern, and that's where I have some concerns. So I don't know if there is a guy right now that you feel very strongly would be the, the 41st best player in this draft class, and Russell Wilson would feel comfortable blocking his blind side. Why we talked about before, it seems like much more likely that Dwayne Brown is going to be uh, brought back uh, for the Seahawks in 2022. 
Yeah, Penning and Kennard are two players that I have on my short list that when you look at the measurables and you look at the game tape, those are guys that would make sense, but they're probably both right tackles. This does seem like it's a very right tackle style heavy draft class. And there are a few options at left tackle. And maybe there will be somebody that emerges in these next couple of days here in Mobile. And maybe there's some underclassmen that will jump out to the Seahawks, especially from Power 5 schools. That's where they preferred to draft. So we'll have to wait and see. But those are two names, Penning and Kennard, that our listeners should be keeping close tabs on. We're talking offensive line because you can be assured the Seahawks are going to use at least one pick coming up in April to address that offensive line with a number of openings potentially in the starting lineup up front in the trenches. We'll know more once free agency gets going in March. Earlier this week, we took a look at the Cincinnati Bengals and their path, their roster construction path to the Super Bowl. We're going to switch gears to the NFC team, a very familiar rival, the Rams, who have taken a much different approach to get themselves back to the big game here coming up for the Super Bowl. We're going to break break down what they have done to get back to the Super Bowl, and we're going to look at whether or not the Seahawks should try to adopt some of those strategies moving forward in their own efforts to get back to the big game. Looking forward to some discussion, a little bit of debate sprinkled in as well. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving it, serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are a lively low for every customer, so make sure to go check out rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us? Box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a big game coming up less than two weeks from now. The Super Bowl is set. Bengals versus Rams. There are a ton of reasons why this is an intriguing matchup. you got two great quarterbacks, a veteran and a second-year player in Joe Burrow going up against each other. You've got the coaching connection with Zach Taylor originally being with the Rams before he got his first head coaching job with the Bengals. A lot of explosive playmakers on the outside, good weapons at running back, star pass rushers on both sides. But away from just that, I think the other thing that makes this matchup so intriguing, Rob, is both these franchises took quite different approaches to get to this big game. We talked about how the Bengals made some thrifty free agent signings. They got players like Hendrickson who came in and played really well for them. They upgraded their secondary with some young players on multi-year deals. And of course, a big portion of their roster has been homegrown. They drafted players like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase early you flip to the other sideline, the Rams, they've done things totally different. Sean McVay is the ultimate riverboat gambler, trading away first-round picks like he's giving away candy on Halloween night. And they've traded first-round picks for guys like Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford. They traded a second away to get Von Miller during the season. I mean, I'll be surprised if the Rams have more than three or four picks this year, and Sean McVay just doesn't care. He wants to bring in proven players. They have gone all in 
we talked about the Bengals, how they've handled things, and maybe the Seahawks can adopt some strategies of free agency, maybe be a bit more aggressive, getting true difference makers. We've seen them go all in trading for players like Jimmy Graham, Percy Harvin, and most recently Jamal Adams. They've still got their 2023 first-round pick, though, so if they're going to keep going that way to put premier talent around Russell Wilson, you got to wonder which players that they would be willing to try to trade for if they were truly all in right now. Yeah, it's a fun conversation because uh, as you just mentioned, that's exactly what the Los Angeles Rams did. And and obviously they are now going to be hosting the Super Bowl. I mean, it's only the second team in NFL history. Tampa Bay Buccaneers did a couple of years ago, Um, you know, and, uh, and so that is a fascinating gamble by the Los Angeles Rams and one that, even if they lose, I, I think that you could make the argument that it was a successful gamble for them. You mentioned some of the players. I mean, you know, anybody who watched the AMC Championship game saw the impact that Odell Beckham had as well, and that was another player player that they 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 made that that gutsy move to acquire as well. So to me, you know, kudos to the Los Angeles Rams for having the courage to be able to make those types of moves. And I, I think that John Schneider just playing in the same division has to kind of adopt a little bit more of that mentality, and it's going to be difficult not to do so. And, and he has been criticized for his willingness to, to trade uh, draft picks in the past for veteran players, and you know we saw that this past year. So I, I think that if you are going to be willing to trade a, a first-round pick, not in this year's draft, but next year's draft, of course Seattle doesn't have this year's first-round <laughs> pick because they already made that move for Jamal Adams, then you have to expect more out of Jamal Adams. That's number one. And then if you are going to be willing to make that type of bold move here again, then I think that you have to address some of the primary concerns for your club. And I would argue that center is one of the biggest positions of concern. I think that there's very few young centers in today's NFL that are really worthy of you trading a future first-round selection for them. Perhaps if we're going to talk about teams that that might be willing to trade guys, Cesar Ruiz out of New Orleans, uh, Frank Ragno out of Detroit might be one of those places. I also don't know that the Lions or the Saints, respectively, would be willing to trade those players. Maybe they would, but if you are going to have that conversation. But let's be real. It, there, there's really only so many positions that are really truly worthy of uh, trading away a future first-round selection. So to me, this conversation has to revolve around either quarterback, if Seattle is willing to do something with Russell Wilson, then that's a whole different conversation. But I think really pass rusher. That, to me, is the conversation here. So who are the pass rushers for teams who maybe are in a little bit of salary cap hell that, that might be willing to trade away a guy? And so one of the names that I saw on the Twitter feed, you, you put this question out there, that was kind of intriguing to me would be Daniil Hunter. We've talked about him a little bit in the past, and he is a guy who I think still has that type of juice, that maybe Minnesota is a little bit willing to to roll the dice on him and and trade him away because he has struggled a little bit with durability. But when he is right, he's a difference maker. And that is something that John Schneider, he's a little bit of a riverboat gambler himself. Maybe that would be a name that might intrigue him. Yeah, as you mentioned, I actually posted this question on social media today, and we got a wide variety of responses it's a really interesting discussion because you can make an argument that the Seahawks based on the way the Adams trade went down and the results maybe not being what they wanted from Jimmy Graham and of course the Percy Harvin trade didn't work out in the long run either they did get a Super Bowl with him contributing returning a kickoff but otherwise they didn't get anything close to what they thought they were going to get out of him they have not had the success 
rolling the dice, giving up first-round picks for proven players that Sean McVay has had, landing players like Matthew Stafford and Jalen Ramsey, who have truly been all-pro caliber difference makers for them. The Seahawks have not been able to make moves like that. So you might want to make the argument that they should probably stop and change up their approach, but this is the NFC West, and it's a wild, wild West division. You have got to be willing to be aggressive. So I I posted the question, if the Seahawks were going to trade, their 2023 first round pick to acquire a proven player and go all in, who would you trade for and why? And as you mentioned, Daniil Hunter was a popular pick. Several of our listeners posted that, but pass rushers, it was far from limited to Daniil Hunter. The first one that interested me from Hyatt 81 said, I would trade for Max Crosby because you can never have enough selfless high energy guys on your line. That might be a player with a new regime coming in in Las Vegas that maybe you could get. And obviously he was drafted in middle rounds, but he has been a fantastic pass rusher since coming into the league out of Eastern Michigan. And then we, of course, had uh, Khalil Mack. Helix Fernandez mentioned him as an option. Should be available as the Bears are looking to build around fields. Cameron Jordan from the Saints is another player that several of you threw out there. And maybe this should be a Saints-centric show because – you mentioned Cesar Ruiz as well. This is a team, the Saints, that is in major salary cap hell. They just lost Coach Sean Payton, who's at least going to be gone for a year. Who knows if he returns? They're trying to figure out who the new head coach is going to be in New Orleans. They have no financial flexibility. They're going to have to make some moves. And so I noticed that there were a ton of Saints players. This is the one that surprised me the most, though, Rob. There were several people that mentioned Alvin Kamara saying the Seahawks needed a proven running back that can produce and play most of the season. He has been pretty durable to this point for the New Orleans Saints. Missed a few games this last season due to injury, but he's been far more durable than what Seattle's current running backs like Chris Carson and Rashad Penny have been. And then there also was Marshawn Lattimore mentioned by Jaspreet Singh, Ryan Ramchick from Joel Perkins. That would be a name that would be very intriguing to me. Although, again, this is a guy that is a right tackle I don't know that that is the biggest need for them. In my opinion, you either got to go out and get a pass rusher. If this is the strategy you're taking, it's got to be an elite pass rusher that's really going to be a game changer off the edge, or it needs to be a left tackle that's a younger version of Dwayne Brown, a younger player that can be a Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber left tackle protecting your quarterback. It has to be one of those two positions. If you don't have Russell Wilson, then, of course, quarterback as well. But to me, those are the three positions that make the most sense to trade first-round picks for, which is a big reason why people were upset about giving two away to get Jamal Adams. But in my opinion, I agree with you. Daniil Hunter would be a player that I'd mention. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr. just got traded by the Ravens to the Chiefs. The Chiefs might have to franchise tag him, though, because of their cap situation. That might be a name that you might be able to trade them a first-round pick back and get him to be your new left tackle, it would have to be somebody that is in their 20s and the prime of their career and is also a game changer at one of those two positions. Otherwise, I just don't think that you can justify that cost. Yeah, and that's the thing. is You, you look at from the other NFL team's perspective as well. I, I think if they recognize what, what you, know, you and I have been arguing basically all year long, is this is a Seahawks team that – their record says they were 7-10 a year ago. But the fact that you had two teams playing for the right to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, both from the NFC West. Seattle, of course, was 2-2 two two against those two teams, undefeated against the, the, the 49ers, and obviously lost both games against the Rams. But still, 2-2 two two against the two teams that played 
in the NFC championship game suggests that the Seahawks playing in a fourth place schedule next year, that first round pick in 2023 may not be that good of a first round pick. Um, and so I don't know what kind of caliber of player that you're going to get. It might be a veteran like an Alvin Kamara. To me, that's one of the names that you mentioned right there. It's like it made my eyes pop. Like, okay, if I was going to take the Los Angeles Rams perspective, like let's win now. Let's get a guy who is absolutely has star power right now. Then that may not be a left tackle. That may not be a pass rusher. Maybe it is a guy who's as flashy as an Alvin Kamara. Maybe it's a, a, a another receiver. As good as I think that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are, I heard an interesting uh, you know comment from uh, Joe Buck on the on the Fox commentary during the NFC Championship game that I thought was interesting. And he said, "You're only as good as your third receiver, Freddie Swain." And you know, and you know, all due respect to. Uh, you know, the, the, all the draft picks that Seattle has used at the receiver position here in recent years. I mean, they just do not have anybody that strikes fear into the hearts uh, of anybody as far as their third receiver, as far as their tight end, as far as their running back out of the backfield as a receiver. So maybe that might be the candidate if you were, fat, in fact, willing to roll the type of dice that we're talking about here. I and mean, those are awful big dice and you're looking for snake eyes, you know, I mean, so it'd be quite the gamble. So to me, I think that makes the most sense to go with the biggest areas of concern. Again, along the offensive line and arguably along the defensive line. But if you are looking to take that Los Angeles Rams approach, think about the guys that they made trades for. These are the skill position guys, uh, either on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, the guys who are absolute game changers. And so if you're truly going to take that Los Angeles Rams approach, I don't know that it's an offensive or defensive lineman. I think it might be somebody else. And so that's what makes this a, a kind of a – entertaining conversation at least if nothing else and there were a few other names that were thrown out there by our listeners in fact i would say probably tj watt was probably the most posted response when i posted that question on twitter tj watt just signed a new deal with the steelers you're gonna have to give up multiple first round picks to get him same thing goes for miles garrett with the cleveland browns that might be one where the browns are like hey we'll take russell wilson you guys can take miles garrett straight up i mean yeah. That's yeah. how much elite pass rushers that are in their prime are valued. Pittsburgh. Yeah, <laughs> those those are not going to be the type of players you're going to be dealing for. You can still get stars, but those elite superstar pass rushers, forget it. You can say the same thing for the elite offensive tackles too. Blindside protectors, teams are going to want multiple first-round picks to move that caliber of player when they're in their prime. And so – the Seahawks don't have that kind of draft capital, and after trading two first-round picks away from Jamal Adams, I don't know if they should be doing that anyway. But nonetheless, it's an interesting conversation, and really it proves the point we've been trying to hammer all along with these couple segments here. There are many different ways that you can build a Super Bowl contender. There is not one specific blueprint that can get you to the big game. You can trade away draft picks and get proven players. You can sign free agents. You can build your team primarily through the draft. You can mix and match those different approaches. There are different ways to build a winner. And so John Schneider has got to keep all those options on the table as he tries to get the Seahawks team turned around heading into the 2022 season. As always, Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week streaming 
on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to shift to the defensive side of the football, get some more observations from Rob at the Senior Bowl, how the defensive players are showing out, which ones might stand out as potential draft choices for the Seahawks. And we're going to continue our position-by-position review, looking at the running back position. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.